0: And it's fascinating that our souls have been born during a time such as this, and we're followers of Christ. I think that's no accident. He chose us to be those guys so that we could reach out and share the good news of the gospel, the only thing that sets men free.
1: You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and Hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome to the podcast today, friends. Like so many of my conversations, today's guest got started in music as a child singing with his family. From those humble beginnings, he went on to sell two and a half million records and has garnered 11 number one songs. Two Grammy Awards and seven Dove Awards point to the fact that That Bruce Carroll is a talented musician, but what draws me most to Bruce is his heart and passion for Jesus, and I'm looking forward to sharing the story about how a decision to trust God changed his life. Now, Bruce has a passion for seeing the church get back to God's Word and the importance of learning how we can introduce people to Jesus, and we're going to jump right into that conversation with Bruce Carroll right after this. I want to tell you about the Rohingya people of South Asia, For 40 years, these people have faced discrimination, violence, and persecution, so much so that in 2018, lawmakers unanimously adopted a motion to recognize the Rohingya crisis as a genocide, describing it as crimes against humanity. This crisis has forced over a million Rohingya people to flee to other countries, and about 900,000 of them have fled to the coast of Bangladesh. According to Mercy, Inc., 52% of these refugees are women and girls now living in 34 different refugee camps. Cox's Bazaar is the largest refugee settlement in the world and it's located there in Bangladesh. It's a dense mesh of bamboo and tarp shelters and fires are one of the big hazards that happen to these extremely vulnerable refugees. In fact, in March, 2021, 10,000 homes burned down and at least 45,000 people were displaced. Mercy Inc. and its partners help the world's most vulnerable people in 13 countries, and that includes Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh. Mercy has been on the ground in Bangladesh for five years, bringing relief, hope, and the tangible love of Jesus. Would you like to be part of the essential ongoing work that is bringing hope to Rohingya refugees? Please go to mercyinc.org to read about the work they are doing. The work Mercy, Inc. is striving to bring long-lasting change, both physically and spiritually. And I'd invite you to join the movement and bring hope to these generations. Learn how by visiting mercyinc.org today. Hey, Bruce. Hola. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, my friend. Good. You look like you're at the beach. (laughs) No,
0: that's actually Dead Sea. I think I'll go ahead and... I think I'll go ahead and just be real today.
1: <laughs> well, I don't. I don't record video uh, for other anything else than just being able to see that I'm not boring you to death with my questions. <laughs> cool, man. Awesome. So how are how are things going? You're in Nashville still, right?
0: No, we're in uh, outside of Memphis.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I don't know why I thought you were still in Nashville.
0: Well, I get to Nashville a lot. Uh, I get to uh, Franklin every Sunday because I'm helping a little church plant start. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to help them build a little worship program. Yeah, and uh, so I'm I'm going to do that through the end of June, and then I'm going to be helping a cowboy church outside of Memphis. Uh, yeah, so I so I do some of that church consultant team building thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, we'll probably talk a little bit about that because you know. Our music industry is really, really good at remembering the artists of yesteryear. I'm being facetious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so it's always good to to kind of catch up. Well, you know what God's doing, and uh, and because God doesn't stop working just because people don't see you.
0: <laughs> right.
1: That's that is absolutely true, bro.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're not dead, we're not done. And now, you know, I mean, we may have to pivot a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, most of my artist friends, they're not doing what they used to do. Right. And they're they're certainly not doing it to the level that that they did.
1: And I dare say that a lot of those folks, yourself probably included, are doing stuff that's even richer than what you were doing 20, 30 years ago.
0: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, that's a lot about perspective and God's sanctification and bringing us You know, I mean, which is why I like to do the CCM Old Dudes uh, Luncheon that we do every month. In fact, we got one next week. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we just sort of get together and talk about, you know, surviving that impact, you know, still in love with the Lord. Most of us are still married to the same wife. You know, I mean, that was a crazy time. It was exciting. It was a wonderful season. Uh, But it didn't last and yeah. you know and that's okay i mean you know like you said god's assignments are ever changing and his mercies are new every morning so we had to be ready to to uh,
1: pivot i would love to be a fly on the wall of that group i mean there's some really cool uh, great exchanges intentionally use that word
0: ah, very <laughs> fun. yeah uh, we
1: all continue to just walk on
0: yeah, ah. <laughs> yeah. Let me like, try to get all of the titles to my albums. We could work
1: on that, yeah. Well, my very first episode of this podcast was almost two years ago. It was with Bob Farrell. Oh, okay. And that was a special one for me because that was also the first record that I ever bought uh, was, oh, wow. was Farrell and Farrell's Let the Whole World Know Live. So so that was kind of fun to tie that in. And then, and then as I've slowly been getting connected with you guys to be able to say, oh, yeah, I talked to so-and-so and, you know. Uh, I know another good friend of yours, Bob Bennett. Bob was That's such true. a gracious guy in my interview uh, when I was first getting started and patient with me. And so I don't like calling you old guys because I'm right with you. You're, you were doing the music that I was listening to. So uh, anyway, it's good to connect. Good to connect.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I am I am honored to be asked to uh, hang out with you.
1: You, uh, now I did a little research cause that's what we as interviewers are supposed to do, right? We're supposed to know who we're talking to, but I, I didn't Great. realize that you had started singing at the age of 12 with your, your family singers.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, with my older brother and sister.
1: And so was that a regional thing? I mean, how far did you travel or was it just kind of local town? thing? No, it
0: was just a local deal. You know, uh, we sang in hospitals and BFWs and, uh, rodeos and and uh you know just about any place where anybody wanted to hear family three-part harmony and i think we only did it for probably about a year but okay it was, but it was great you know we all had matching shirts and uh <laughs> we actually uh, got to go on a regional television show called the barney bungalow show he was a clown okay And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was my, that was my big local television break. Uh, (laughs) yeah, but you know, I mean, it was a, it was a hoot whenever the three of us are able to get together. Still, we oftentimes, you know, reflect on how much fun that was.
1: Now are your siblings, did they
0: continue on in music? Uh, my sister didn't, uh, my older brother Milton did. Okay. And, uh, he continued to be a singer-songwriter, and I kind of followed in his footsteps, or certainly wanted to. He was my hero, if you will. Sure. And uh, he, was, uh, he had a record deal. He uh, released three records. Uh, the last one was on Willie Nelson's oh. uh, label that was distributed through Columbia, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And he was out on the road opening for Willie Nelson and on his bus and, you know, living the dream. And then God got his attention and uh, Milton came to the end of himself, hit the crossroads, realized that he was empty. He was tired of drinking and doing drugs. And, you know, he was doing everything that he wanted to do. And he was still empty. Yeah. And came to Christ came to faith, turned his back on it, yeah. left it all
1: behind, and then he was
0: instrumental in getting me to Christ.
1: Well, I was just going to say I I heard I heard somewhere that 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 looking up to Big Brother and that was a change in you. Now, this is Big Brother, but you were what? You were 25, 26 when you accepted the yeah. Lord, right? So right, yeah. so you had a adult life uh, before doing music and stuff. Um what was it that your brother Milton was going through that said, this is something that I want to have in my life too.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Dave, um, you know, all of us, every one of every human is going to have an opportunity to accept or reject the plan of salvation. Right. The only, the only name by which any of us can be saved. Right. The only name by which we can have a relationship with God and that's Jesus. And, you know, uh, I just tried to find my, place in the world thank you michael w yeah uh and i just didn't know where it was uh you know i mean i'd been out playing in clubs and bars and trying to do that music thing and i was drinking too much i was doing drugs and really the whole time i was just trying to find out what i was supposed to be and who i was supposed to be and is there a god i mean you know all of us are born with eternity in our hearts We know that there's a God. We know that there's something greater than us. And so I went through the same kind of process Milton did in my own orbit and uh, was struggling with a lot of the same stuff, independent of even having a conversation with Milton that he was struggling with that. And so when he had come to the end of himself and realized that Jesus was the answer and he started to share that with me. I mean, at first it was a little weird Sure. and, uh, you know, because he just got so radically saved uh, that I didn't really want to have anything to do with that. I was still trying to, you know, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Yeah. I think I can, I think I can make this work and find my sweet spot, but I mean, it took almost a year and the same time Milton was calling me and ministering to me and sharing scripture with me and telling me how, I mean, he was reading my mail, and my life was just going further in the in the unsatisfied toilet. Yeah. So you know, scripture never uh, returns void, and those things that he told me, I could be more than a conqueror. I could, I could have peace of pass understanding. I could be a new creature. I could be forgiven. I could have all these great things. Yeah. And I could be satisfied and have peace if I just surrendered. To Christ, and one day it just made sense. You know, I mean, I tried everything else, so I cried out to Jesus, and you know, I didn't really know how to explain it. Yeah, uh, all I know is that something significant had happened that day.
1: So was it a what, was it like a light switch being switched on and off? I mean, was it that dramatic, or was it a gradual thing that when you said yes to Jesus, you saw the changes taking place in your own life?
0: Well, it was, it was both. You know, I mean, it took a long time to screw my life up. So it took a while for God to, you know, to, untangle that mess. Right. Yeah, yeah. definitely needed some untangling. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just, you know, August fifteenth, nineteen 1979, when I took the step of faith and said, Okay, Jesus, if you're real, I want you to come inside of me. And I don't understand any of this. Yeah. But I really need God and I'm told that I can't have a relationship with God unless I know you. So can you please help me and give me the same peace that you've given my brother? I mean, that was a gigantic testimony because I knew him pretty well and for almost a year, he was not the same guy Hmm. and he had had a hold of something. He got a hold of something that I knew was real and authentic. Yeah. So, and that day I, I got a glimpse of that and I knew something special had happened. And that's when I began my journey and started to just live a relationship with him on a daily basis.
1: So as a 26 year old and you started singing with your siblings, but I'm sure you'd been still doing music and, and singing wherever you could find a place to sing. Right.
0: Well, I had been, uh, but I, uh, I was, I was drinking too much and, um, and I knew it and it was really affecting my life. And I was, um, I was also doing some illicit drugs. I was doing some cocaine and, uh, was kind of getting hooked on that. And, and I knew it was wrong. I mean, I knew that it was something that I shouldn't be doing because it was hurting me and it wasn't giving me clarity to figure out who I was supposed to be or where I was supposed to be. So I thought, I mean, I had the presence of mind to to like stop gigging because I didn't want to be in those environments to Mm. where I knew I would use. So, so I had enough wherewithal, thank God, uh, to where I just knew that I didn't need to be doing music for a while. Mm. So I, of course, I didn't have hardly any money. I was working odd jobs. So I had to sell all my equipment, sold my guitars. I didn't even have a guitar when I got saved. Wow. Uh, So I had been doing music and then I stopped Okay, because I didn't think that was, that was working. Not that I wouldn't come back to it. I just didn't know when or, or how. And interestingly enough, uh, it's a crazy story. My wife to be Nikki, she was a roller skating waitress at a restaurant in Denver called La La Zatos. Okay. And she was a believer. She got saved in 1970. She came to Christ in nineteen seventy. Four. So she skated up to the table. Milton was witnessing to Billy, and Billy said, Well, Milton, you act like there's Christians everywhere. And he (laughs) said, Well, there are. And so Nikki skates up, and Billy says, Excuse me, ma'am, are you a Christian? And she said, Well, yes, I am. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. So Milton said, Hey, you know what? I have a little brother who just came to Christ. He lives in Denver and he needs a church. He needs to be discipled badly. So Do you know a good church? And she said, yeah, my church, Uh, Foothills Bible Church. So he said, well, I'm going to tell him. And what is your name? And so he got her name, Nikki Barker. And no kidding. So Milton told me to start going to Foothills Bible Church. I actually called them and told them, you know, I mean, I was just so, so excited. You know, it was such a new thing. And I knew that I had a hold of something. And I said, hey, I just came to Christ, and my older brother tells me I need to be discipled. And they said, fantastic. Well, we're going to send a couple of brothers out to your house. What's your address? So a couple of brothers started to come to my house and uh, study the scripture with me. And so I started to go to this church. And so one Sunday I asked the pastor, I said, "Uh, Harry, do you know a girl named Nikki Barker? And he said, yeah, she's right here. And so (laughs) that's where I met Nikki. I didn't know I was going to marry her. Yeah. Uh, And she's, you know, she's beautiful. And I, it was love at first sight. I mean, I mean, it really was. Oh, wow. And then as I chased her for two and a half years, uh, I found out that, you know, she's very athletic, loves softball. She can throw a rope from center field to home plate. Wow. And I, I just, I just fell in love with this girl, but in the process, like in the first six months of sort of dating, she first, she had an old K guitar behind a chair. And I said, Oh, an acoustic, can I play this? And she said, Oh, do you know how to play? And I said, yeah. So I played and I sang a James Taylor song or something. And she said, Oh my gosh, God's going to do something amazing with you. Uh... I said, wow, well, that's cool. What can God do with me? music wise and she said well you can do christian music i said christian music is there such a thing and she said well yeah yeah and so she's the one that introduced me to love song and phil kage and bw thomas and and played me these records Janie grinds and yeah uh you know i was like my mind was blown like wow and so that so then i sort of you know connected the dots wow so i can write christian music so God maybe wants me to do that. And so that's kind of how it all started. If it hadn't been for her encouraging me and telling me that I could be a Christian musician and write Christian songs and go and edify and encourage the church, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have done it.
1: So not only did she help you in your spiritual growth, but she also, because you'd sold all your guitars, she also got right. you a guitar to play, and then she points you in this direction. And then, uh, so was something good is about to happen? Was that your first album?
0: Yeah, so we had moved to Texas uh, by that time, and um, I was working for a packaging plant. I was a salesman, and uh, and I had started writing songs uh, and singing them in some local area churches in the Conroe, Texas area. Okay, yeah. And started to get affirmed, you know? I mean, people would start to say wow, those are some really good songs. You ought to make records. And so uh, I talked to a friend of mine who talked talked to this other guy who called me and he said, you know, Bruce, you should really think about moving to Nashville. And uh, so that's what we did. I, 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 you know, like we prayed about it and I had about 10 brand new original songs that I'd been playing in churches and people seemed to love them, so we just loaded up the car. I quit my job in Conroe and we got in our beat up Buick and moved to Nashville. Wow! And uh, I got a job as a welder, and then I would I, I would write in the afternoons. And uh, you know, God is the best network, work, and He put me in touch with some people that put me in touch with some people. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I got a little publishing deal. And they financed a project that became Something Good is about to Happen. Okay. And then we shopped it all up and down, Music Row. Everybody turned it down. I mean, they loved it, but they didn't know what to do with it because nobody was doing that kind of music at that time. Right. And so Lynn Kesecker moved from L.A. to Nashville. Uh, Terry Gibb had just been signed to New Canaan, kind of a country-flavored Right label on a word and she was going to cut a song that I wrote called driving nails. So she was playing my cassette around the office and people were just loving it. Yeah. And so Lynn said, yeah, Terry, you definitely need to cut that song, driving nails, but who is that guy? So <laughs> well, that's my friend, Bruce Carroll. And he said, I want to, I want to meet him. And so I went in, sat down with Lynn, and he said, bro, I've been, wearing this cassette out would you like to be a word artist wow i said said, yeah (laughs) So word took that project released it as it was Mm -hmm. and uh that's how
1: i got my record deal so you said you had a publishing deal did you have other cuts covered by other people besides terry not yet okay so terry Uh, was the first
0: cut yeah she was the first cut and the Publishing company only owned the songs that were on Something Good Is Bound to Happen. Okay. So uh, I had written some other songs that they had ultimately kept, uh, and I think they got cut. Uh, And in fact, one of them, a country band called Bailey and the Boys cut. But uh, Word wanted to sign me to a publishing deal at the same time. so. So I was in a position to where I wasn't locked in to this publishing deal that I was at because it was just a project by project situation. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, these guys were so kind and so generous to say, man, if Word wants to sign you, go ahead and sign with them because they're going to be able to do a whole lot more for you than we can. So, yeah. So I ultimately signed a record deal and a publishing deal with Word, and then my first official Word
1: or New Canaan Mm -hmm. project was uh, The Richest Man in Town. Yeah. So I'd be curious to—you talked about recognizing that you needed to put your music down because it was leading you in a lifestyle way that you just needed to get out of. And now here you are several years later, and God is opening doors to make music part of what he wants you to do again. Right. What what was going through your mind as you recognized I've laid this down and now God is picking it up and doing some amazing things with it. I mean, Great Exchange came out and that was very well re- received, uh, sometimes miracles high. What was going through your mind as this was kind of developing and you were saying, oh wow, God is using a passion even bigger than I thought.
0: Well, it was amazing and it was very humbling. And there were, there were many, many times when uh, Nikki and I would talk about how God wants everything in our life. I mean, you know, he wants every part right. of us. He wants everything we are or will ever be. And so it wasn't lost on me that I had given the music up and he had given it back. Because he wanted to use it and he wanted to own it. And interestingly enough, that was a process that I continued to have to do. I mean, Mm. he was bringing me to a place of realizing this could go away. I mean, you know, this is what he's having me do right now. But I, like I was then, only for a different reason, I need to be willing to lay it down. Yeah. Whenever he asked me to. You know, because that's not where my identity is. I mean, my identity is in Christ, and that's you know that isn't what defines me as a follower uh, of uh, Christ. So you know, I mean, it's kind of a fragile thing, bro. Uh, uh, But it was a mind blower. You know, I mean, there were just just so so many moments when I'd be in a concert. Or I'd be in another country and people would be singing my songs. I mean, ju- just the just the fact of going into a little room at ASCAP in Nashville or in my, you know, on my back deck writing a song with Niles Borup or whoever. And that song would then go to my publisher and we would pick it. And I was on a recording cycle. So I would, you know, cut a record every year. And it would end up on a record and it would end up on the radio and it would end up going all over the world. Yeah. And that was unbelievable. Yeah. And it wasn't lost on me how 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 blessed I was. But but at the same time, and me and the CCM old dudes, many other artists have have sort of talked about the same thing that when we were doing it, we didn't really fully appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, or we didn't appreciate it as much as we do even now because we were so busy doing it, you know, I mean, working hard at riding multiple days a week, getting on planes on Thursday or Friday and traveling and coming back home. We have families, we got sure. yards to mow and kids <laughs> to raise. And so it was this whirling dervish of, of a season, you know, of however many years. Yeah. Uh, and we were so busy doing it that we, that we didn't really fully appreciate or appreciate as much as we do now because we didn't have the time to step back and go, wow, that sure. was incredible. Yeah. I mean, that was a great run. And it's not that I still don't do those types of things. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, yeah. I mean, I still go out and I do concerts, not as much as I did. Of course, I don't have the radio airplay that I, that i did well, and, and the
1: whole landscape of music has changed and huh. how it's promoted how it's distributed. all of that it's it's right. tough to to get your voice heard in this crowded landscape unless you have some way of you know and, and i don't know about you but i'm not willing to be a tiktok dancer i mean <laughs> so well so in 2005 was the last record that i know i know you had a kind of a best of uh, thing what did you do after the music piece because i i read somewhere that you were part of a church for a while at uh, hope presbyterian
0: yeah right? i was on on staff of uh director of uh, music and the arts and we built a million and a half dollar studio started a label started an academy and both of those things are still blowing and going uh and i was there for 15 years and um that's what i love to do i mean i fell in love with building teams training equipping and mentoring worship leaders and building teams and bands and uh and so all that experience that i had in the recording years and putting bands together and touring prepared me for the local church to do the same thing and uh and it was fantastic uh and i thought i was going to be there forever i mean it's only three and a half miles from this spot yeah but god had other 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 plans and so uh i uh resigned from there in 2014 i think yes 2014 or 15 and we had a great run i still love those people they still love me and now i'm doing more of a church consulting thing in in addition to the concerts that i do uh i still write i still record And uh, uh, now I'm 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 helping church plants and I'm helping churches that are in transition. Maybe a senior pastor called me last week from church in Oklahoma and he feels like they've kind of plateaued Mm -hmm. and he's really wanting some help for his worship leader. He's kind of in a rut and they're kind of not getting along very well. So he asked if I would mind coming in and, you know, spending uh, a couple of weekends. And then there's other churches that lose their worship leaders. uh, And so I go in and uh, help them until they find one. And sometimes um, I'm actually able to help them interview and find the next one. I'm not really looking for a for a full time roundup build a team from, from, from scratch, full-time church situation. I don't, I don't really feel like I'm called, called to that, but I do. I do love to lead worship and I'm uh, actually in uh, Franklin, Tennessee Uh, was there last month and I'm there until the end of June. And then I'm going to go to a once a month thing to help them build a team. So I do that and I do the concerts and I am just having a blast
1: and, and, and being uh, dad and grandpa, cause you've got that grands now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's also a wonderful situation that I've been a part of for the last couple of seasons where from, uh, November through April, I get to help. I'm on, I'm on staff of a chapel in Palm desert, mm. California. And so I'm there six months and, uh, we live there and then we come here, uh, to this home for the other. Yeah six months. And so we've got grandkids out there. I got a couple of kids out there and then we've got a son and grandkids here. So we get the best of both worlds and, cool. uh, you know, we're blessed. We have a lot to be thankful for.
1: Well, we talked a little bit about how the music industry has changed and how, you know, distribution and all of that. What have you seen now that you're kind of working in and around a lot of churches, how have you seen the change in church with, I mean, we've last three, four, five years, culture has just changed dramatically, all this kind of stuff. What kinds of things are you seeing in churches that are, A, needing help, maybe, but B, that you're excited about, about how God is moving in this new culture that we're in, where things are more me-focused and more self-centered than ever before, I think? Um, what kinds of things are okay. you seeing as you're going to all of these churches, helping out, What kinds of things excite you about, about where God is moving in the church today?
0: Well, I really believe God is reordering the church in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, COVID, the whole 2020 fiasco, uh, (laughs) shutting everybody down, you know, everything is different since then.
1: Uh,
0: there are more churches shutting their doors now than ever before. Yeah especially out out, uh, west and um i think i think uh it really exposed i think god used that to expose a lot of things that were wrong in the church and things that needed to be fixed Mm -hmm. uh you know mainly getting away from being focused on church growth and number of people in the seats and um and the you know the comfort zone mentality. I mean, I've been in a lot of big churches that really didn't want us preach a whole council of God because yeah. some of scripture is kind of offending. Yeah, and uh, they don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, and I think I just I just get the sense, bro. If I'm to be candid, and this might sound a little bit controversial, but I think uh, God has kind of slapped us around and woken us up to what's really important. And, and I don't mean woke.
1: Yeah, I know what so you like mean. A whole no, other, that's, like that's
0: a, whole a different other podcast. <laughs> I just think we are we are in 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 the apostate stage. I think there is a falling away from church. There's a different Definitely. gospel out there that is not the true gospel. and um, And I don't know how far into the apostasy we are, but I know we're in it. And there are people that uh, are not willing to, once you start from the pulpit, not preaching some of the word because you don't want to offend somebody, mm-hmm. that's a that's a terrible red flag. Yep. And I think that there's a whole lot of, of that going on. There's some theology that's whacked. It's not sound. It's not coming right out of the Bible. There's just so many things that are, that have been exposed as a result of what's happened over the last couple of years. But the good news is that God loves the church and he wants the church to work. Uh, I think the days of the mega church uh, is over. Uh, I'm like seeing a desire for authenticity and studying the true word of God and to having to being discipled. And to, I think there's an urgency that time is short. Yeah, and that uh, we need to be really, really serious about God's word and about saving souls and witnessing. Because I mean, now more than ever, people have lost everything. They're disenfranchised. What they thought was what they could base their life on is gone. They're 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 afraid. They don't know what to make a life anymore. And we, as followers of Christ, who are bold enough to open our mouths, have wonderful opportunities, divine appointments all the time to speak into these folks' life, to give them encouragement. Right. You know, to say, hey, listen, God is every bit still in control and always will be. Do you know him? Would you like to have peace? Would you like to know where you're going? Would you like to not be unsettled by everything that's going on in the world? Right you like to have confidence and joy? I know how you can get it.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, I mean, and it's fascinating that our souls have been born in this country during a time such as this. And we're followers of Christ. I think that's no accident. He chose us to be those guys so that we could reach out and share the good news of the gospel. The only thing that sets men men free. Yeah and I've won more more people to Christ in the last six months than I did in the previous few years so you know and it's just a matter of opening my mouth in grocery stores or gas stations or restaurants or being 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 quickened to I mean man I'm able to plant seeds every day sure
1: you know even if
0: I'm not the one to bring them home
1: well I've been excited about so I felt for a lot of years, and I think this might be part of the mega church feel, but the, the thing of uh, church is a country club. We we go there, you know, feed me, give me what I need. And I'm starting to see a lot of churches saying, No, the church is a locker room to get us prepared to go out and play the game. And I don't mean play the game, but I mean, you know, go out and, and yeah. say, What what can we do? And then I'm also seeing a lot of this. I mean, our younger generation is running from group things they want to do small relational things
0: yeah and I, and, and i am exactly seeing that and that's tied uh, directly
1: into what you're saying about being able to share and talk because people are starving and they're hungry for the truth and mm-hmm. and for those of us in the locker room to say okay i'm, I'm ready coach put me in and yeah. to open our mouths and to be the friends whether it's whether it's saying you need to know jesus or just being a friend so that they go what do you have? There's something different about you. I want to talk about that. Yeah. And
0: uh, I think the younger generation is definitely looking for authenticity. They want to go deeper with the Lord. They don't, they they can, they can spot and smell the BS mm-hmm. half a mile away. Uh, and I'm not saying every, every I'm not indicting every large church. I mean, one of my favorite preachers, Jack Hibbs, uh, Chino Hills and his church is blowing and going. Sure. He's got, four services Sunday places packed, but he brings the whole council of God and he is building infrastructure to where people are able to connect to get discipled and, and have opportunities to make disciples themselves. Yeah. And, you know, there's like, you know, like an, like an intimacy. It isn't so many of the mega churches that I used to go to the it's, it's personality driven. Yep. We've got the performance element. The preacher gets up, does his thing very, very eloquently, looks great, sounds great, and then says, now go out and make a difference in the world and your center of influence, and we'll see you Wednesday night or Sunday. Uh, And I'm not going to teach on Revelation uh, because it's too controversial. You know, I mean, I see that going away. I see people that are really caring about discipling people yeah those are the people that God seems to have his hands on and there's a there's a ton of smaller churches that I have an opportunity to go into and and uh you know people are hungry and there is no small thing with God right everything's a big thing to the Lord and so I'm just having a great time uh not putting any sort of uh prerequisite on how large the church is that i'm going to go in and sit in or sing in or yeah or or help you know what i'm
1: saying it's a again it gets back to that okay god where do you want me to be and it might be in front of 10 people it might be in front of ten thousand people but where god wants you to be is the perfect place no matter what the number
0: that's right bro and uh yeah i just man A day at a time, uh, my wife has been through some serious health issues over the last two years. And uh, I've had the opportunity to really take care of her and do everything for her and, you know, vacuum and wash the clothes and make the beds and cook the meals. and, and, uh, And it's been unbelievable. It's been incredible. What a blessing it has been. For me, I've learned so much about myself, and plus I've been able to get back to her because she, for so many years, when I was on the road, she was home raising four kids. And and I've uh, learned that, I mean, we've all learned that life can turn on a dime. Uh, I do think we're in a, you know, there's people that want to tear this country down. There's, that's another podcast, (laughs) you know, where we can talk about the deeply, or the well-funded deep, dark state of the enemy, what he's, what he is trying to do. And the whole, you know, global one world economy and one, one, one God that everybody, you know, I mean that whole thing that, I mean, that's happening in our, in our lifetime and it's
1: unbelievable. And but, it's spelled out in the scripture that it's going to happen. Absolutely. You know? And so it's like, people are, are shocked about all this is like, well, look at the book. The book tells us it's coming. That's right.
0: And in fact, all this has to happen before the next phase. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in, in most ways, really encouraged because the word is living itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Right before my eyes in my lifetime. So that's exciting. It definitely is, but you know, but it's something that we have to navigate and, you know, we got to have discernment. We got to be wise. and, we got to know scripture so that you know like the sons of Issachar so that we know the times in which we live so that we know how to navigate it in a glorifying way and to help those that are perishing without Jesus.
1: Every Saturday I send out a newsletter to a whole bunch of folks who have committed to praying for artists and musicians and ministers, uh, you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but maybe there's other things. How can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and the months that are in front of us?
0: Well, uh, I have another assignment in uh, California starting in November, and uh, it's an exciting time out there. California is kind of a different country, uh, so it's a it's uh, there's a lot of darkness, but the light shines very bright out there. Mm. Yeah. So pray for our uh, relocation for uh, six months in November through April there and just just pray that the many opportunities that I have between now and then uh, I would be faithful in and pray for my beloved Nikki. Yeah. She is getting so much better. bro. She's Good. Uh, like three months ago we were pretty discouraged, but she has turned a corner. She's got a lot more energy. She's on a really good medical uh, medicine regimen that's helping her. She's much more encouraged. She's got lupus and connected, or mixed connective tissue disease. So pray for her because she's my right hand man and my co-pilot and her and I love to go out and minister together. Yes. And we wanna to continue to be able to do that. And she is such a blessing to so many people and she needs to be out there. She needs to get her strength back and her quality of life back. And we are praying, believing that that's gonna happen. And we're already seeing it happen. So wonderful. If, if you guys can, uh, you know, pray her the rest of the way. it'd awesome.
1: The timing of today's conversation with Bruce is interesting for me. You see, for most of my life, I've been a behind-the-scenes guy, helping people be the very best versions of themselves, and I've been content to let other, more qualified people be the ones to tell the world about Jesus. As the new business manager at my church, I'm continuing that legacy, helping support the pastoral staff so that they can do the work of sharing the gospel. But our new lead pastor is driving home the point that all of us are responsible for sharing Jesus. In fact, we're commanded in the Bible several times to go and share the gospel, and none of those scriptures say to only tell others about Jesus if you feel like it. In fact, in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Psalm 96, 2 says, each day proclaim the good news that he saves, publish his glorious deeds among the nations, tell everyone about the amazing things he does. There's no if I feel like it in any of those verses. My pastor uses this illustration as well. If I were to get hit by a bus, I would immediately be in the presence of God for eternity. But there are people around me that when they die after that bus impact, they'll spend eternity separated from God. And how could anyone who cares for people be willing to just sit back and watch that happen? So today, I'm encouraging you, I'm even encouraging myself, to figure out ways to get over our discomfort of sharing about Jesus. That might also mean putting myself in situations where I'm around people who don't know Jesus. I might need to join a civic group or a volunteer at a rescue mission. It might even mean spending time with that annoying co-worker I can't stand. I'm not sure what that's going to look like for each of us, but I do know that the time is now. We can't just wait for somebody else to do the work. We need to get out there and share the difference Jesus makes in our own lives. We need to develop relationships that put us in contact with people who don't know Jesus. And there is no better time than right now to get started. Hey, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you be willing to give me a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app? Or even better yet, write a short review. Those really help spread the word about the work that this podcast is doing. Next week, I'm going to be talking with John Chisholm. He's a Nashville songwriter and songwriter coach, and I invite you to join me for that conversation. But to close things out for this week, I want to remind you this fact. God loves you. And you know what? He's crazy about you.
0: It's time for another Miss mischievous Maurer's miscellaneous misquotes.
1: I finally bought that limited edition thesaurus that I've always wanted. When I opened it up, every single page was blank. I can't find words to tell you how frustrated I am.